Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. This is the Frey Podcast, brought to you by thefrey.com, a place for women who want more from life. This is what I want. This is what I need. If you don't have to go, I can set you free. Are you going to make a move? Are you going to come and see? Whatever you want to do, you know what's cool with me. Welcome to today's podcast episode. It's a conversation with Mel Schilling on the topic of confidence. Mel is an Australian specialist in human behavior and performance. She has built a 20-year career as a therapist, business consultant, and leadership coach for high-performing people. She is a thought leader in confidence and courage and draws on her background in psychology as well as stage and screen performance to ensure that she's always providing highly informative, actionable, and also entertaining information. Now, you may recognize Mel as one of the experts from Married at First Sight, but that's not what we're talking about today. We don't even go anywhere near the reality show maths. We're focusing on her book, which is called The C Word, Confidence. It's all about how to make friends with fear and build confidence from the ground up. We talk about the comfort zone and how you can grow your comfort zone. We talk about imposter syndrome. We also speak about the connection between fear and confidence and how we can lean into awareness and improving our own confidence skill set because it really does make a massive difference in our lives if we can do that. If we're operating from a place of lacking confidence, it's going to impact every area of our life. So let's get into my conversation with Mel Schilling. Mel, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to have this conversation with me. What a pleasure. Let's get into it. You are a confidence coach. How did this come about? <laughs> Very good question. It's a kind of a made-up title. I've got to be I've got to be honest. <laughs> so I was a psychologist for 20 years and this was an area that I just started focusing on very naturally. So I did a lot of work in corporate and, you know, working with teams and leaders and really coaching people around performance and, you know, what what's it going to take for you to be performing at your optimal level. And so often those conversations came back to something around confidence. You know, I think of confidence very much as a, a cluster of skills and attributes. And so often I found that people were finding they were being held back because of something to do with confidence, often self-talk. And so this was something I found myself starting to specialize in without even really trying to. And it's just really blossomed. And, and I've found that, you know, it's become an area I'm so interested in that, you know, it's, it's led to my recent book and, and online program. So it's become a real passion. 
It's one of those things in life that I think sometimes we kind of default to thinking, oh, some people just have it or they don't have it. It's like, oh, mm. so-and-so has been confident from the moment they were born and that mm. carries on throughout their whole life. But it really is a skill set, isn't it? It's something that we can learn to develop. And mm. I imagine it has a massive impact on the way that we live our life and the things that we choose to do or choose not to do. Yeah, yeah that, that's right. It is a skill set that you can learn. Um, but th- there is also, you know, a, a predisposition or a genetic hereditary component to it as well. And look, I was one of those kids that were born confident. You know, <laughs> one of those strange little members of the species that, that came out of my mum feeling pretty confident. And, you know, my mum talks about, you know, me going off to kindergarten for the first day and being absolutely devastated that I, you know, zoom, off I was, climbing the closest tree, getting into the paintings and, you know, all this kind of stuff and just not needing her because I was very independent and, you know, very um, had that real self-efficacy, you know, at that very young age. And so I grew up thinking that was normal. But I also grew up in a family where I had a sister who didn't have the same level of confidence as me. And so that became very interesting to me because here we are, two people, we're genetically from the same parents, grew up in the same environment but have very different levels of confidence. And that really did spark my curiosity because I would often have people say things to me like, oh, you're so lucky you're so lucky you get to do X or you feel comfortable doing Y. Um, And I kind of started thinking, well, I'm not lucky. I am someone who is prepared to take a risk, you know, who's actually prepared to put myself out there a little bit and feel uncomfortable and therefore I'm getting these results in my life. So when I look at that, when I break that down from a behavioral perspective, it's actually, it's a mindset and it's a set of behaviors that lead to an outcome. It's not luck. It's definitely not luck. It's so interesting that there's like a genetic predisposition towards being Mm. more confident or not. And I look at my boys, I've got identical twin boys and Mm. one of them is significantly more confident, more independent than the other. Interesting. yeah, it really, I find it so fascinating. Mm. Like identical twins are just a strange yeah. thing to see up close. But the one who often appears less confident, he has more of a sensitivity towards rejection and being observed. And he really feels judged if people are mm. observing him. So it's that kind of, you know, two sides of the coin, isn't it? You know, one child might be born with more confidence and one child might be born with more of a sensitivity towards, you know, taking on board other people's judgments or other people's perceptions. Mm. It's really fascinating. But yes, it is. And I think there's also a lot of myths around confidence. You know, there's a lot of, um, I think, incorrect um, expectations that if someone appears to be confident, on the outside, so they have perhaps the veneer of confidence that they're going to have all of the other traits that we associate with a confident person and we have this halo effect about confident people. I mean, the biggest case in point is good old Donald Trump, you know. I mean, he speaks with what appears to be confidence. You know, he says 
words that sound confident. He holds himself in a way that looks confident. You know, I mean, you'd have to be confident to give yourself a spray tan of that particular colour, wouldn't you? And to really commit to that comb over in such a fashion. I mean, that takes confidence. Confidence of a pale, what do they say? Pale male and stale individual (laughs) as he is. But in actual fact, and what, what that led to was almost all of America looking to this guy and thinking because of this um, performance of confidence, right, the veneer, we're going to make assumptions that he would actually be a good leader. And so they voted for him. And guess what? He wasn't. (laughs) He was far from it. And, you know, we see this kind of personality in life all the time, performative confidence. So what does true confidence mean then? Because, you know, the the type of confidence you're describing there with our friend Donald Trump is so Mm. much more surface level. It's something you put out there, but on a much smaller scale. So many of us learn ways of masking how we're truly feeling and we Mm -hmm. can present to be confident, but perhaps some of the things we're doing comes from a place of lack or feeling anything but confidence. So what is true confidence for an individual? Mm. It's a great question. And look, certainly in, in doing the research for this book, where I landed, and look, this definition might change over the years, but this is, you know, based on my research and experience to this point, I see confidence as very much a, a, a two-part situation. There is self-esteem and there is self-efficacy. And self-esteem, you know, the term is used a lot and I think we, we probably overuse it and sometimes it's it's used interchangeably with confidence. But really self-esteem is that emotional sense that I deserve it, you know, I'm okay, I like who I am. When I look in the mirror, I'm okay with that person looking back and I deserve happiness and I deserve success. It's a feeling and it's often very focused on the future and hope and it's linked with optimism. But then there's self-efficacy, which is more of a thinking thing. You know, if, if self-esteem is emotional, self-efficacy is based more on rational things, so evidence. So self-efficacy is saying to yourself, I can do this because I've done it before. And here's a situation where I did this, where I overcame that obstacle and guess what? I'm okay. You know, I did it. I survived that. I've survived worse so I can do this now. I can do it again. So when you've got those two things, the the emotional and the rational playing together inside you, that's when real authentic confidence starts to blossom. How important is it to have that real sense of confidence? Because I imagine when there's a lack of it, it impacts every decision you make from the type of work you do to the type of people you surround yourself with. Absolutely. I mean, I would argue that confidence is the difference between functioning in life and flourishing or thriving. This is what takes you from existing and having, you know, a reasonably mediocre life and absolutely thriving and having an extraordinary life and taking yourself to places you never dreamed you could possibly go because you actually have that belief that you can do it. And even if you can't, well, failure is only feedback and that'll take you in a different direction. What's the connection with fear when it comes to confidence? Mm. 
such an important connection. In fact, I see them as symbiotic. You cannot have confidence without fear. There's got to be that psychological tension in order to propel you into confidence because the step that happens between fear and confidence is courage. So the way I look at this is courage emerges when what you want is bigger than what you fear. So the fear is not going to go anywhere. Let's not pretend that fearlessness exists. <laughs> Let's not read all those memes on Instagram that says everything you want is just on the other side of fear or, you know, just do it, all this kind of stuff. You know, it's it's a lovely rhetoric, but I don't, I don't think it's real and I don't think it's helpful because fear is part of life. In fact, it's an essential part of life. You know, it is inbuilt from an evolutionary perspective. We need to have fear. We need to be able to scan our environment looking for threats because that's what keeps us safe. Um, the downside of that is that whilst we have generally physically evolved quite a lot from the cavewoman days, um, our brains haven't really evolved that much. So we do very naturally go into that old brain way of thinking which is where, you know, anxiety and, you know, all that adrenaline and fatigue and everything comes from because we spend too much time in that fight, flight, freeze, fawn um, state. Um, you know, so really this is about um, when you can have that, if you imagine a, a balance sheet and on one side you've got the things that you're fearing in a situation and on the other side the things that you want, what you want to get out of it. When what you want is bigger and more powerful and louder than what you fear, that's when you're able to step into courage. So would you literally encourage people to sit down and write that out? Like go, you know what, yep. this is what I want in life. These mm -hmm. are my fears. And mm -hmm. to sort of weigh it up and go, is what I want truly more important and I also imagine dissolving some of the fears. Like I've heard Tim Ferriss yes. talk about fear setting and how important yes. it is to actually look at the fears because often it's just this ambiguous fear mm. and you don't actually define the specificities of mm. what those fears are or what would happen even if they were to occur. Yeah, and I'd even take it one step further and, and give each of the items on those two sides of the ledger a rating out of 10 in terms of how important they are to you because what you might find by forcing yourself to do that is, you know, yes, there are some fears, but the things I want are more important. So let's let's give an example. It's getting a little bit abstract. For me, probably the, the most um, relevant personal example for me was when I started my IVF journey. And I had a hell of a lot of fear around that. Um, I'd had a miscarriage. So, you know, I'd had that, that loss, that grief experience and knew that, you know, I was 40, um, I was 40 at the time. And I knew that stepping into this, you know, fertility journey was, was going to carry risk. And not only was I fearful about potentially bringing more grief into my family, and that really, really scared me. But also just, you know, injecting myself every day with these hormones I didn't really know a lot about, knowing that my body was going to go into this free fall of hormonal rage and everything else that comes with it, that my body was going to physically look and feel pregnant even though I wasn't. You know, I knew all of this All stuff. of the changes. Oh, just so, so incredibly frightening. And that feeling of being out of control of your own body, you know, was something I knew I was about to step into. But on the other side of the ledger, on this, the side of list of things that I wanted, I wanted to be a mum. 
you know, for me, that was so much bigger. And that would be a 10 out of 10 in terms of how important that was. Whereas, you know, the fear of loss or fear of pain, those things would probably rate about a five or a six out of 10. So it became a really powerful exercise for me to go through that and to actually go, yeah, this thing that I want, motherhood, parenthood, starting a family, oh, that stuff trumps any of the fears that I might have had. And it made it very clear, gave me real clarity about why I was stepping into this, you know, courageous act and what the payoff was going to be. Yeah, I've spoken a little bit about a similar activity in terms of making big life decisions, such as Mm -hmm. when you go through a divorce or things like that, because it's one thing to sit down and write your pros and cons list. But if you don't put a value, a numeric Mm -hmm. value next to those things that you're putting on the list, it can be very easy to get overwhelmed and get down in the minutiae of it. So I think that's such a practical, helpful Mm. tip for people to talk back to their fear. Yeah. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. What are some other ways that people can, I guess, even connect with areas of their life that they might be lacking confidence in? Because I imagine there will be people listening, Mel, who go, oh, I'm just not a confident person. You know, and that's such a such a generalization, is it worth mm. looking at different areas of your life to see where you feel that you're lacking confidence or is it something you can improve on the whole? Yeah, I'd say there's two things in there. One is the excuses. Let's call them what they are. They're excuses. Saying I'm not a confident person, excuse. I wasn't born confident, excuse. None of my family are confident, excuse. I'm overweight or too poor or not smart enough, whatever excuse you're telling yourself, just excuses. And you're really, when you're doing that, you're self-sabotaging. You know, you need to be really honest with yourself about this. You're getting in your own way. Those excuses don't cut it because we're talking about a skill set that you can learn. You know, it's a bit like saying, um, I can't run that 5K race because I've never done it before. Doesn't mean you can't do it. You actually can, but you need to actually believe that you can. So, you know, I definitely hear a lot of those excuses. And something that I find very interesting is that people say, when X happens, I'll be more confident. So when I save up and buy a house, I'll be more confident. When I get into a great relationship, I'll be more confident. When I get that promotion. And they put these conditions on the the development of their own well-being because that's what we're talking about here, isn't it? You know, yes, confidence is a component of it. But ultimately, we're talking about living a great life, which is your well-being and your happiness. That's the goal here. So that would be the first part there. Ask yourself, are you getting in your own way by the stories you're telling yourself? Then secondly, I I really like your point about, you know, different areas of your life having different levels of confidence. Absolutely. And in fact, I would say that that varies from day to day. 
you know, if you think about the external factors that can influence your confidence on any given day from the weather to what's happening in the pol- in politics to, you know, a fight you just had with your partner, you know, all of that external stuff, even the temperature, you know, can have an impact on you in a room through to all the internal things from hormones to amount of sleep say, you've had. Oh, not to mention hormones. our cycle, where we're at. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. In fact, you could track your confidence with your hormones. You know, there's there's a chapter in my book where we actually look at mapping setting up a confidence map against your cycle. And, you know, here's a spoiler alert, you're at your most confident when you're ovulating, which is interesting. So if you are someone who has a regular cycle, you know, you and you're able to kind of map it, um, it's a very interesting thing to do, particularly if you're wanting to um, plan out projects in your life or work. You know, you can sort of go, okay, if I, I something that I need to do that's going to require all of my energy and my oomph and my power woman energy do it when you're ovulating 100 percent. tracking my cycle Mm. has been the biggest game changer for me just so that I understand and go oh yeah no wonder I feel more sensitive at this time no wonder you know like just it gives Mm. you so much insight into yourself but I love I love that you've said that confidence is a skill set and you can obviously learn it what are some things that that everyday listener at home could begin to do today to feel more confident? Okay. okay. Well, well, firstly, you need to figure out what you want. So it sounds basic, but, you know, I, I, don't, um, I don't think the generalised pursuit of confidence is terribly helpful for anybody because you need to have a why. So, you know, and it's different for everybody. You know, and and to your point earlier, you know, sometimes you might be confident in one area of your life, but not in another. You know, you might be someone who's really career driven and you're kicking goals at work, but when it comes to your personal life, not so hot or vice versa. I, I do see this a lot. So I guess figure out the area of your life and start with just one, pick one. Let's say it's your health and fitness. That's the area of your life where your confidence might be really lacking. Maybe, you know, you had a rough time during during the pandemic, you know, you've you've gotten out of your routine, you've lost you've lost touch with your fitness goals and so on, and you're feeling not particularly happy in your body. Let's say that's a that's a pretty common one around around confidence. So getting that goal clear to start with is really important so that there's a purpose behind all of this. So it's not just generic, you know, confidence building. And then I'm I'm not a believer in leaving the comfort zone. I know that can sound a little bit controversial because in order to grow, ultimately, that's what you need to do. But I advocate expanding your comfort zone. Um, And so, look, it might just be semantics, but the way I look at it is thinking of your comfort zone as something that is flexible and has kind of mushy edges that you can flex. So it means that you can bring new things into your comfort zone and try them on for size. And this is a really good way to take some of those baby steps towards confidence. So let's say you are in that that sort of a bit of a health funk and the idea of going to a gym, let's say, just makes you go cold, just makes you feel scared, anxious, uncomfortable, self-doubt sets in and it just feels all too much. So rather than doing that, which would mean exiting your comfort zone, What if you expanded your comfort zone and brought something into it 
let's say you hire an exercise bike and bring that into your home. So you can actually start taking a step toward that goal without actually having to physically leave your comfort zone. So this starts to build up that confidence. You start to hit a few goals. So you get a few wins, which is where your self-efficacy starts to build. And if you can do that in tandem with starting to get some of the mindset stuff, so that's the self-talk around what you deserve, you know, to say to yourself, not just I have been fit before, therefore I know I can achieve it again, but also I deserve this. You know, I, I deserve to live a long, happy life. I want to meet my grandchildren. You know, I'm going to look after my health. I'm going to get the cardio health happening. So you've got that combination of both building up the self-efficacy that you know you can do it, but also the self-esteem that you deserve it. I love that example of modifying your comfort zone versus being mm. like, just jump off the cliff, just have that two seconds of insane <gasps> <No>. courage because <laughs> you're so right. If that's going to create more stress around it, yeah, that's likely then that you might avoid it. Something that I often say, and I heard it at an event that I was speaking at years ago is to build confidence, we have to build evidence and to build evidence, we have to take action. And what yeah. I'm hearing from you about self-efficacy is that that is the building of the evidence. Yeah. It is That's our, exactly what it is. It's our faith in our ability to do something. Yeah. yeah. That's right. And it's not even just faith. It's more than faith because it is evidence-based. You know, so for those of you listening who are very left brain and rational, self-efficacy will probably appeal more to you. You know, so you're the type of person perhaps who likes to have a list of things and, you know, the very specific evidence of where you've done this before. You know, you, you might want to say, okay, in, in, you know, in 2018, I ran that 5K race great. I did it in this amount of time. There's the evidence to tell my brain that I've done it before, therefore I can do it again. But if you're more of an emotional thinker, you can maybe go more with the what I deserve. And I guess that also leads into like positive affirmations versus self-affirming mm. statements, because it's mm. one thing to stand in front of a mirror and say, I'm powerful, I'm beautiful, I'm strong. But a self-affirming statement and please do correct me if I'm wrong, but a self-affirming statement would be more like, I've made it through hard times before. I've felt nervous and I've overcome it. And like being more specific mm. towards your own yeah. skill set. Do yeah. you find that self-affirming statements are more effective than your average positive affirmation or is there a place for both of them? I do believe there's a place for both, and I think it's a very much a personal preference thing. You know, there's been a lot of debate in the research lately about brain dominance. You know, people often talk about, I'm a left brain thinker, I'm a right brain thinker. And, you know, a lot of it has been debunked, and, and there is more of a lean now towards that more holistic thinking, um, which I'm a, I'm a real fan of. You know, I would say that personally, I'm a naturally more right brain thinker. I tend to be more big picture, um, creative kind of person. Um, and, and of course, that has so many downsides, particularly in business. <laughs> I can make some shocking decisions based on who I like, <laughs> you know, whereas my hubby is very left brain thinking and he can be actually, and he's very low trust, I'm very high trust. He can be very numbers sort of stuck. Um, and, you know, we, we do work very well together because of that. 
But I think there's something to be said for developing up that shadow side of your thinking, you know, so that you can do both. So when it comes to self-talk, I think it's really important to take that holistic approach. And even though you'll probably have a preference for one or the other, to make it a hybrid so that you're actually engaging both sides of the brain and ensuring that, you know, depending on where you're at on any given day, you're covering all bases. I was nodding along furiously <laughs> because as someone who tends to think a lot with their right brain when it comes to business, uh-huh. I'm like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes, just in agreement with you there. <laughs> when it comes to imposter syndrome, what are your tips for women who are listening right now who are experiencing that overwhelming fear or sensation of feeling like they just don't deserve things or like they shouldn't be where they are? Or perhaps Mm. they've started a business, but they're feeling this extreme imposter syndrome. Yeah, it's it's tough and it can be debilitating. One little piece of information that I've learnt in researching this book is that it's actually pretty evenly split across both genders, all genders, I should say, imposter syndrome. You know, for many years, we used to think of it as a women's problem. But it is actually as as prevalent in in all of the genders. So I found that very interesting. In terms of dealing with imposter syndrome, look, it's like any form of self-sabotage. It comes back to your self-talk and your mindset, the way that you are, the stories that you're telling yourself about what you deserve and what you're capable of. Now, something that I have discovered working with people over the years who do engage in imposter syndrome. And I say engage in because I do believe it's a choice. You know, you're not a victim of imposter syndrome. You engage in it. One of the commonalities I've found is that people who engage in it tend to also engage in what I would call exposure fantasies. So daydreams that are really catastrophic and might run something like this. Let's say I'm about to walk into a meeting and deliver some information. Before I go in, I have this daydream. I open the door, I walk into the room, I sit down. Everyone has something really smart to say. I'm sitting there scared that when I speak up, people are going to ignore me or laugh at me. I do it anyway. I speak up. Half the room ignore me and speak over me. The other half snigger. Someone says something derogatory about what I just said. I start blushing. I start sweating. People are staring at me. People are starting to ask me, what am I doing in the room? Someone asks me what my qualifications are and whether I actually have the right to be there. Get the picture. (laughs) Sounds like a nightmare. It is. It is, but it's really, really common. That style of fantasy is very, very common for someone who engages in imposter syndrome. And it's, I I actually see it as a little bit self-indulgent. And I don't mean that in a judgmental way, just in in a descriptive way. It's almost like wallowing in your imposter syndrome. Um, And it can keep you stuck there by indulging it. So what if you flipped it on its head? And instead of having an exposure fantasy that is daydreaming about being exposed and and uncovered having a recognition fantasy so what if before you go into that same meeting 
you play it out differently. But you go into this meeting, as soon as you sit down, everyone acknowledges you and smiles at you. You feel good. As everyone are starting to share their ideas, you start thinking internally, wow, there's some real synergy in what these people are talking about and what I've got to say. I know this is going to land really well. You find the moment, you speak up, maybe stumble a little, get over it, and you share your ideas. You look around the table. People are smiling. They're nodding. Someone's jumped on board and is building on your ideas. Someone else is crediting you for something you said earlier. And before you know it, you're in this really robust, interesting, engaged discussion based on your ideas. You walk out feeling proud of yourself. It's a real mind game, isn't it? It's making yeah. the decision to put yourself through a different experience. And like my girlfriends and I will often say, when we catch ourselves ruminating on the what ifs or mm -hmm. worrying about these, you know, we'll call it fantasies because I think that's such a great word that you've given us, mm. you know, we'll say to ourselves, oh, snap out of it. Why are we putting ourselves through it twice? You know, if it's going to yes. happen, it's going to happen. Like, yeah. you know, we don't have any control, but why put ourselves through it twice? So I love that little mind trick to sort of catch yourself and go, hang on, I am. I'm exposing myself to a fantasy here. What's yeah. a different version? Yeah. Yeah, I love A positive that. version. And it's the kind of thing that you can, it can be really constructive to, let's use the word again, indulge, to indulge in that fantasy just before you go to sleep each night. And just, particularly if you're working toward a goal or an important event or something that, you know, is, has high stakes for you, to do a little bit of mental rehearsal, but in that really positive way. And it can, it can be very, very um, confidence building for you. Yeah, mental rehearsal and kind of mental gymnastics. Mm. And I imagine that's also really helpful to talk to your kids about, you know, yeah. over dinner if you hear them saying, I'm worried about tomorrow at the swimming carnival because, you know, X, Y, Z could happen. It's like, yeah, that could happen. But what's another version that could happen? Let's yeah. all engage in that fantasy. Yeah. And it can be really good to hook into the emotion of that, that positive um, fantasy. So to say to your kid, let's say they're about to run a race tomorrow, let's imagine that you've just run the race and you're feeling really, really happy with how you performed. Imagine you're in that right now. What does it feel like? Describe all of those feelings that come up for you now that you've won that race and getting them to actually, you know, essentially anchor that, that really positive outcome. I mean, this is, this is the technique that elite sports people use and, you know, often let's say it's golf, they have, they have hit that hole in one, you know, hundreds of times in their mind before they've actually stepped onto, you know, the course. And we can apply that in life as well. And it's such a simple concept, but one that I think we forget to engage in because, you know, and this is what we do with ourselves, but also with our kids. Mm. If our kids come to us and say, I'm worried about it, you tend to focus on what they're worried about. Like, you know what I mean? And you do, yeah. you know, we'll use the word indulge again, indulge them mm. more in what that will feel like. And it's like that experiment where you say, don't think of a white elephant or whatever it yeah. is. And all you can think about yeah. is a white elephant. So the more you mm -hmm. talk about what those feelings are, the more real, the more power you give to them versus mm -hmm. reframing it and redirecting mm -hmm. and allowing mm -hmm. yourself to experience more positivity. And I find kids are really good at that kind of creative thinking you know as parents you're right it is very tempting for us to hook into that emotion they're in and try and fix it 
But to ask a really open-ended question to a kid like, what could be a different way you could feel about that situation? Because kids are so naturally, um, I guess, wired, you know, for creative thinking and broad thinking, um, I find they're really good at it. So tap into that. Absolutely. Your book, The C Word, Confidence, is Mm -hmm. incredible. I've got it right in front of me now. And as I I said to you, I've been flicking through it over the past week, like that's helpful, that's helpful, that's helpful. Mm -hmm. But I didn't want to read it cover to cover because I wanted to hear from you first. Mm -hmm. So now that we've spoken, I'm free to go and read it. Where can our listeners get their hands on a copy? Probably the simplest way is to jump into my Instagram, which is just Mel underscore shilling one with the number one and just go to the link in my bio and, you know, wherever you are in the world, there's there's links there for, for each of the regions and you can buy it there or, of course, any good bookshop. It's out and about. It is. And we will have all of those details in our show notes so that it's very easy for our listeners to find you, get themselves a copy of your book, The C Word. Mel, thank you so much for your time today. Oh, thanks, Kylie. I've loved our chat. This is what I want. This is what I need. If you don't have to go, I can set you free. Are you going to make a move? Are you going to come and see? Whatever you want to do, you know what's cool with me. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.